Hi everyone, Pamela Log here, your host of the Energy Transitions podcast. If you enjoy listening to our bi-weekly podcast, make sure to hit the subscribe button and take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. This will help us spread the message and connect with our community. Thanks again for listening to the Energy Transitions podcast from Inlet and Friends. The future of green power generation. To get there, it is a process. A steady evolution that requires a change in technology, politics and human behavior. As the energy sector faces a broad spectrum of disruption, there is hope on the horizon to meet our net zero goals if we can speed up and scale deployment of green technology. For an inspirational take, on our shift from a hydrocarbon-heavy energy system to one that accommodates renewables, I had the pleasure of talking to Javier Cavada, CEO and President of Mitsubishi Power EMEA. I'm Pamela Log, and this is the Energy Transitions Podcast. Javier, welcome. It's such a pleasure to be able to speak with you today. And I think for me to understand a little bit more about your perspective you are no stranger to to technology and innovation you have experience in companies like Highview Power and Vatsila tell me if you could consider one technology or innovation making the biggest impact in decarbonizing power generation what would it be and why the first thing is thank you, Pam. It's me who is very excited to have this conversation today. And I am I'm a mechanical engineer over 20 years, so time is passing quickly. And, and I've been witnessing how solar and wind were happening at big scale. Renewable power we were seen as, uh, as a great contribution to decarbonizing, but we from the industry, and I'm talking in the first decade of this century, we never saw how the scale could grow so much. And we got to a point in the point in which we are already the last few years in which now is game over in sense that solar and wind are the main sources of clean power and the main source of electricity for the humankind. But they bring certain characteristics that demand technologies that integrate them in the grid. So backup, balancing this famous motto about when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine. But I live in London. I've been living in Finland, in Barcelona, uh, where uh, people are extremely accurate and kind, but sun is not shining often, uh, or not shining most of the, the winter. And then you don't have too much solar power, many parts of our globe. Uh, you have many areas which are not windy at all. In fact, the land-based uh, wind is, is much less powerful than the offshore wind. And we also know that wind power offshore is still in the very early stage of its development. So to your question, which technology has to make the biggest impact or is to be made the biggest impact is that one that enables everybody to have solar and wind power 24-7. How do you do that? Of course, storing the excess or transforming the excess into another mean of generating power. And then we talk about batteries, storage, hydrogen, ammonia, other means. So 
making the 24-7 renewable electricity possible. That is the mission and that is the technology breakthrough that we are all uh, working for at this moment. I love that answer because it's actually not one technology that you point to, but it's the end goal that you point to. And that is indeed wisdom. Javier, we are working on a very large-scale energy transition. We are looking at transforming our energy system from a hydrocarbon-heavy generation and a grid to accommodate that to this new system. Speed and scale is required, definitely, but are we actually going to see a reinvention of our energy system, or is it a case of incremental changes that actually maximize the current assets in play? Thanks for that one, because definitely it's the latter. I'm really an advocate uh, all the time about the speed and simplicity. All those who work with me hear that from from my voice every week, uh, speed and simplicity. But we need to have feasible solutions. I mean, we need to have a real way to accomplish it quickly. So the hydrocarbons, so the carbon intensive society that we are enjoying and living and being part of has been created for more than 100 years. So believing that in in few couple of years or in 10 years, we can turn it completely and create a new a science fiction, a new picture or new environment around us. It's good for the books, it's good for the movies, but we need to make it incremental in the sense that all those people who have been invested in the last few years Uh, We need to give them into infrastructure. We need to give them a way through the transition so that they can decarbonize and that all the investments of the last 10 years or 15 years or 20 years are not to be demolished immediately and wait for new infrastructure to be built. So we need steady evolution, steady transformation, decarbonizing that infrastructure. Uh, But the good news following the first question is that a big base load of wind and solar is happening. And that one is the one that is uh, dis- distorting and disturbing the status quo. And as the status quo is dis- disturbed, uh, we need to change all the high carbon uh, intensity means to low carbon, to zero carbon, so that we can make a step. So I'm confident, but at the same time, I'm very ambitious that we need to push harder and faster to to accelerate this move. Speaking of moving faster, when preparing for this interview, I saw one of your previous interviews, and I'm I'm going to quote to you from that. When it comes to decarbonisation, you say, building gardens and planting pretty flowers looks good, but we need to be thinking on a scale of trees and forests. And I absolutely love that because it is about scale, It's about speed. But at the same time, there is a balance because you say it's a steady evolution. How do we get that balance right? And and do you think that there are certain pitfalls or maybe hindrances that are perhaps holding us back at the moment? Definitely. I really appreciate uh, that quote because indeed it was coming also from a very thrilling discussion. We were talking about uh, reforestation and, and planting uh, trees and gardens in cities and, and reducing 
the reducing heat impact from the I mean we all I tell you I'm living in London and having this discussion with you in London the weather here is pretty similar to the Middle East to the experience I have in the last few days of course is we all are expecting rain to come back but it's extremely warm we would all wish to have a forest in all the streets here so that the temperature could go down but being realistic to the climate emergency or to the decarbonization targets we have and the urgency to reduce the CO2 emissions, just planting trees, planting flowers, planting gardens is definitely not going to be enough. Changing some cars for electrical cars is going to help, but the amount of change needs to be massive, needs to be gigantic. So we are look, we're looking for a new mangoes change of the patterns of behavior of the society. And to do that, we need to change politics. We need to give incentives. We need to to remove incentives to other damaging areas of it. And this is something that individual countries, individual cities, individual companies cannot do by themselves. So really that allegory or that comparison about the trees and the forest is Amazon is is one of the biggest wealth that this planet has. And the key of that wealth is diversity, but scale is so big, is so large, that it's very difficult for the human being to damage it. And that's what we need as we move into the decarbonization and the energy transition uh, future and, and, and making this evolution that we were mentioning. We need to get to a scale that is that there is no way back. That it is that you cannot uh, make a certain contribution in one part of the planet and somebody in another place of the planet is destroying all the contribution from so many other well-intended people. So this is a call for action, but united action. And the less united and the less together we are, the more uh, reasons to fail we're going to have. So unity is fundamental here. And unity and scale, I put them quite much in same side of the balance here. Hi there, fellow podcast listeners. This is Paddy Young, the director of Inlit. Apologies for jumping in, but I wanted to take this opportunity to invite you to Inlit Europe, which is taking place in Paris from the 28th to 30th of November. At Inlet Europe, thousands of industry professionals will come together to have engaging conversations about all things energy transition. Personally, I'm looking forward to discussing topics like supply chain challenges, future-proofing the grid, offshore energy strategies, new infrastructure versus repurposing, and many more. So kind of like this podcast, but then in real life. If you're keen to join, go to inlit-europe.com slash registerpod, fill in your details and add the discount code podcast in lit for your 25% discount on the summit delegate pass don't forget podcast in lit all one word and lowercase i'm very much looking forward to seeing you in paris okay and now back to the episode you talk about collaboration and i was going to save this question for a little bit later but perhaps it's a good segue into finding out from you I know that collaboration is important in your view to reaching our energy transition goals. And I know that you attended COP27. First of all, are you planning to attend COP28? And what are your expectations? Javier, in my opinion, and and this is a, a humble opinion, it seems the world is really gearing up 
to collaborate, to take action. And actually, you mentioned the politics and you mentioned the, the behavioral changes and perhaps the world has never been more ready to start implementing these. It's a long question, but in a nutshell, are you expecting to see great things from COP28 that maybe align with some of these global shifts? I really love this question I have because the first part you were asking, are you planning to attend? I mean, it's a yes, it's a, definitely I, I will attend the, the Emirates, United Arab Emirates will be in Dubai. It was planned to be in Abu Dhabi before I attended the Egypt one in Shamashek last year. I attended the Glasgow one two years ago. I attended the one in Madrid three years ago, which was planned to happen in Santiago, Chile. I am completely with you that we see the speed, the scale, and the momentum building up. That's the positive side. All, but I need to be also, I'm definitely not satisfied at all. If, because the fact that you are making Pam this question, are you attending? I tell you, I'm saying yes, but I could also tell you, no, damn, I'm really fed up of this conference where a lot of people are gathering and it's becoming a big business of companies trying to make money of, the, of this movement and trying to get hype and try to get other businesses happening. The fact that UAE is hosting it is, is giving a bit of question marks, being one of the major oil and gas countries in the planet. But I tell you, if you put everything together on the same table and analyze it analytically and pedantically and really as as a scientist, you would say, yes, there are really good reasons to uh, confess, to witness and to admit that things are moving in the right direction. Are they moving in the direction at the speed we would see that is possible? Uh, not yet. That's the reality. But I can say that every year things are accelerating the level of commitment. Uh, we see, for instance, I will name uh, Saudi Arabia, not related to hosting COP yet, but it's the biggest oil country in the planet and potentially is aiming to become and is already investing to become one of the biggest decarbonization investment bodies or governments in the planet too. So they really are pushing to become the hydrogen master and the renewable, of course, solar uh, master globally. And the same happens with the Emirates and the same happened with the big oil and gas companies that we have. We look at them with a lot of, we look at as suspects or suspicions about, okay, how can the oil and gas be the ones who are driving the decarbonization? But definitively, everybody in the industry have uh, figured out and figured up that, that there is no way back, that the society, the governments and the planet cannot wait and cannot stand the, the way things were happening up to five years ago. So we break records every year. That is a fact. We have records in solar generation. We have records in wind generation. And we destroy smash records in storage and hydrogen development. Uh, there are too many announcements, too many PR uh, statements, and not enough action, I would tell you. Absolutely. We want, I want personally more action and less statements. Uh, but uh, the speed of the trajectory is, is to be proud of. And one of our duties is to make sure that trajectory only becomes uh, bigger and faster. On the point of the Middle East and, and perhaps oil and gas, uh, there is an argument that oil and gas has a place in our near future, at least. And perhaps through, for example, carbon capture and storage, you know, that 
there is a lot that can be done and that oil and gas companies are really committing to this. Do you think that we will see in the near future an escalation of the adoption of, for example, carbon capture and, of course, hydrogen as well? Of course. Uh, what could I answer, Pam, when, when we are the number one market share, as much obviously, in both carbon capture and hydrogen? But, uh, but as, as said in the beginning, I'm not really going to be talking about technology specific or trying to trying to give a sales pitch about the technology that we deploy because that is something that we at Mitsubishi have it really clear at MHI Mitsubishi Power. We want to make sure that the decarbonization and the energy transition happens successfully, affordable for everybody, reaches everybody. So we don't need to push only the technologies we do. We need to push the whole phenomenon to happen as fast as we can and definitely to decarbonize infrastructure that is already running, that is providing wealth and health to people. Talk about the steel industry, hard to abate sectors. To produce renewable power, you need a lot of metal and, and to produce metal, you need a lot of temperature and to produce temperature, normally you need furnaces and you need heat and then you're going to have emissions. And capturing those CO2 emissions is possible already. We have the technologies to do that. Of course, we need the technologies, they are ready. Then we need the financial case or the business case that tells you that by doing that, you can still run a profitable business or a sustainable business. So things like green copper, green steel, these are happening. We can see that this is happening. One big, very clear sign that this is a one-way road already is not coming back is that the oil companies, the oil countries already have made big changes and making enormous changes to invest those profits that they are getting from the old oil and gas business to the energy transition, to the new energy. So we see oil and gas investing in developing solar, wind, storage, hydrogen for their refineries, carbon capture for the existing infrastructure. Of course, I have to say that besides the convincements from science that we need to stop the, the warming of the planet, uh, there is also the mandates by the policy makers. So we already have targets that need to be achieved. So that is not a commitment from political side. It's, a, it's an urge to the industry that they need to reduce. They need to reduce the emissions per year. How much places like the EU, like the states, uh, Asia, Pacific countries, of course, Japan, Australia. We can see that happening quite fast, that, that the horizon for oil and gas is getting for the end of or the reduction, heavy reduction of oil and gas is very close to us. You were asking, there is, is there a place for oil and gas in the near future? Definitely, oil and gas. If we stop oil and gas, we have to stop our schools, our uh, hospitals. We need to, the, techno, the industry is run by them. But the reality is that more and more percentage of everything is being run on renewables every single day that we step. And I will close this answer by giving the statistics from the EU, EU and UK, they are not together politically, but it's exactly the same, absolutely. 75% approx, 75% of all the emissions coming from the EU and UK are coming from energy generation, from power generation, from producing electricity for our telephones, for our hospitals, for our cars, for our offices. And the 
percentage of renewable power, we it was increased the target for the end of this decade from 40% for zero to 42.5%. So we are getting bigger and bigger. So we can already see an horizon, an horizon in few years that 50% of all our electricity is 100% clean. And what we are looking is how to achieve that the other 50 is decarbonized. But that we are able to store it so that we move from 40 to 50 to 70 to 90. And also, I have to confess again as an engineer that the move from 90 to 100, that is going to be tough. But let's get there. Let's get there because we're still below 20. So, Where would the world be without engineers? Uh, but we will save that question for a little bit later. Javier, <laughs> you speak about what's on the horizon uh, that we are making progress. And considering w the, the recent situation in Russia and Ukraine, energy independence and sovereignty has really come to the fore. And, and I'm referring now to European member states. Do you think that the energy crisis of late led to perhaps hindering of net zero progress? Or are we still seeing, it, is there still a sense of commitment to reaching these goals together? Definitely, we have a drama still going. There is a war going on, an invasion going on still in Europe. It's a terrible human tragedy that we already have for more than one year, and it's, it doesn't look that it's going to be ending. So we are extremely suffering and it's for this painful situation. That one of the key, if we go to the technology and the decarbonization focus, the key about decarbonization, about uh, removing uh, CO2 and about going renewable, going clean tech and clean energy, is about distributed power. It's about getting the electricity coming from very near where the consumption is. That is one of the big changes that has happened the last 10, 15 years. So instead of having big power plants in one location and long lines of distribution, thousands or hundreds of kilometers or miles far, wind and solar become more local, wind and solar become closer to the demand, storage needs to be closer to the demand, interconnection is making this small People have called them many times microgrids, smart grids. And if you look at microgrids and smart grids, it is all about energy independence. It's all about not being reliant on a power plant in another country or a source of electricity or a source of energy from another location beyond your frontiers. So I have to say that the emergency that ended up in, in endangering the security of supply of power last year in, in 2022, only stressed the need of accelerating the whole energy transition. So we cannot depend on one, two, three, four, five sources of energy for all our assets, but we, everybody in the planet has sun, everybody in the planet has wind, and everybody in the planet can produce or buy close by. A green hydrogen or energy storage and, and get a full independency. Said that, of course, during the crisis, the, the first attempt, and while well, you were talking about the European member states, we all look at Germany as the heart of, or the launch of Europe uh, from an industrial perspective. The crisis could not be bigger. And, and I have to say that we have a big presence, and maybe weak in Germany. That's uh, not a commitment, that's a fact that I, I have, because it's our biggest market uh, in Europe by far. 
Uh, we all saw the rises, the rise of the gas price. We all saw the danger of having a very tough winter uh, because of the need of heating, etc. I can say that due to the decarbonization and due to non-reliance on that one source, uh, the winter was very easy to pass. Of course, the climate was very mild that also helped it and we need to thank we need to thank the weather and the mother nature for that of course there are a lot of negatives a lot of negatives is that somebody in the sense of emergency that they got they made steps back in the energy transition going to start burning uh, even more polluting fossil fuel fossil fuels during period that that's Terrible situation, but I have I can see and I'm witnesses that witnessing that uh, with the EU repowering uh, policies and the new German energy transition policies that were just launched last month, uh, we see Germany as the again the, the industrial heart of Europe, not only going again to the energy transition plans they had, but accelerating them. Multiple, multiplying it several times uh, faster and bigger. So thinking already on producing green hydrogen at massive scale in the country and importing around two thirds of their needs to fully decarbonize the grid. Uh, so it was a crisis. It was very painful. Uh, but uh, I would say in the long uh, journey that the energy transition is already taking us, this is an acceleration, acceleration factor. It's only increasing the speed and, and increasing the urge to make it. That is a very encouraging answer. So thank you for sharing that with us, Javier. If I can pivot slightly, you are an engineer. If I'm not mistaken, you said you're a mechanical engineer. Engineers are not always known for being excited or visibly passionate about what they do. But when I see you speaking, or when I hear you speaking, you are clearly very passionate about what it is that you do. And it's not just through Mitsubishi, but just in terms of the whole energy transition. Javier, would you say that passion helps your voice stand out above the myriad voices that that shouting for change and talk to me a little bit about what makes you excited about what you do thanks so much thanks so much but definitely uh, it's i would say is my personal as an individual and as a leader responsibility to to push the message to push the information to share the data to share the real scientific fact so to also to stand above, by the way, I'm close to two meters tall, that helps a little bit, to make sure that the message reaches and that we break down a lot of noises because every time as we are in the we are in the era and it's becoming more and more the era of massive communication and, and, and that means a lot of information and misinformation. And we we need, I'm not going to use the word fake news more than that one, I would not repeat it, but we need to make sure that we have facts and the facts kill, kill the misinformation. So we need to push the facts forward. We need to make people more educated and more excited. So it's, if something people need is to feel that they can really make a difference. And I can say that every single individual can make a difference by just passing the message, passing the urge, in uh, most of our democratic countries, we vote. So we need to make sure we vote and we vote for this decarbonization, for this change. And I'm really passionate for for the life that we are enjoying, 
for the legacy that our parents and grandparents have left to us. I believe that in this, and I'm coming, I'm starting to think in some literature and books and movies, that if we look at this civilization from the last 10,000 years, that we are we are in the peak. We are in the peak of development, the peak of wealth, the peak of peace, the peak of uh, stability. And uh, definitely our huge, our biggest responsibility, frankly, is to make sure that we progress and we go ahead. We cannot give, we cannot handle a worse planet. We cannot handle a worse society to the next generation. That is not uh, bearable, that we should not enjoy this legacy if we are not going to improve it further as our ancestors, as our parents, as the previous generations have done. This is a great mission. This is a great mission. And the, the fuel is a renewable fuel, of course, that, that is igniting this passion is meeting people and meeting people with like-minded passion and like-minded convincement that this is the right thing to do for our kids and the kids of our kids and especially for for being proud of we have been progressive enough and we have not been we're not been a, a, a dark period in our times it is indeed a great mission and certainly not mission impossible with people at the helm who are as passionate as you are javier one last question you mentioned books and movies and perhaps we could just delve into some of your interests are, are there any books that you're reading at the moment or that you could recommend to our listeners yeah, well probably pan due to the role and the job and the responsibilities and i, I i'm blessed to be having on on, on myself uh, i i guess People will expect that I'm going to be sharing some some management books or some economy books or, or maybe some engineering technology books. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I was born in the middle of 70s. So I've been a, a kid of the 80s and, and a teenager of the 90s. And since I was a kid, I've been reading uh, science fiction books. And if I, I need to take my hat off for, I think, the biggest writer of my time, which is, uh, or our time, which is Stephen King. I know he's very famous, he's very active in Twitter or in X, but besides all these tweets, his books are definitively taking you to, to another reality that is very far from the reality uh, we are living as engineers. We really like facts and we like tangible things. And definitely books like the last one, Holy, that I have already read. And I'm waiting for the Spanish version to come later this week, by the way. is again an advertisement which was not intended. is taking you to a reality that is giving you in a direct, but mostly indirect way. It's giving you tools, it's giving you knowledge, it's giving you capabilities that, strange enough, are very helpful in the real world, very helpful to manage crisis, to manage problems, to take decisions, to... When you live a normal life, decisions are very easy compared to the ones, the roles that those books are needed to make. So those kind of books, I'm waiting for the next one to be released, Mr. King. If I would be so honored you are listening to this one. That is such a refreshing answer. And indeed, and thank heavens, the decisions we have to make and our realities that we face aren't similar to Mr. King's. I have nothing further that I need to ask you, Javier. Would you like to share perhaps some final thoughts with our listeners before we conclude? 
Thank you. Thank you, Pam. I repeated the word thank you because you are making this a lot of fun for me and answered for those ones who are listening. I feel very connected to your questions. And my last my last thought or my last message is really for the young generations that I'm, I'm you are in the young generation, Pam, but I'm not anymore for a while, at least just for a few years. My, my daughter is becoming 16 this week, by the way, so that already tells me in which generation I am. It's about the need of living a better planet, the need of contributing to this change, the need of uh, being proud of what we are dedicating our time to. So I really want to transmit that message to the young generations, those ones who are starting in university, are already in the university, are looking for the first jobs, are planning about what they will do with the life. I mean, renewables, hydrogen, energy transition, making things better. There is no better reason to become a professional of any field. So I would say join the move. We need you all. Join the move. We need you all. What a way to end what has been a phenomenal conversation. Javier, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you and all the best to you, Javier. And I would like to thank our listeners for joining us. Until next time, goodbye. Visit enlit.world for more episodes and to sign up to be a community member for more exclusive content. Until next time.